my body doesn't deal well with pollen. I take uh, allergy pills every morning. <clears throat> It'd be a lot worse if I didn't. Anyway, Exodus chapter 33. We uh, studied chapter 32 last week where Moses had been upon the mountain for quite a while receiving the commandments from the Lord. And uh, the uh, people began to question why he was gone and so on and so forth. And they turned to Aaron and said, make us a God. Well, Aaron accommodated them. They took their earrings off and their gold jewelry and melted it down and formed it into a calf, a golden calf, and began to worship it. Moses came back and he, he got very upset and very angry. And he was carrying the Ten Commandments with him that God had written up there. He became angry and threw them down and broke them. Uh, we saw lots of disciplinary action that was being taken in chapter 32. Now chapter 33 just picks up on this. <clears throat> so the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. Now they've traveled out of Egypt. They've been out there in, in the desert for quite a while. I'm not exactly sure how long. But God once again tells them where they're going, to that land uh, that he had sworn to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and said to them, your seed will always inherit this. <clears throat> God had been traveling with them. His presence was made known as he traveled with them. And that was what made him different from the other gods, is that God was with his people. They carried theirs around with him. But here in verse 2, God gives a, a shocking message, I'm sure, to, to Moses. God said, I will send an angel before thee. God didn't say, I'm going with you. He says, I'll send an angel before you. And I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hevite, and the Jebusite. And he again describes the land in verse 3 unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, what does that term flowing with milk and honey mean? An abundance, okay. When I was in Israel, our tour guide shared with us, of course, Israel is the northern part of it in the Galilee area is very productive farmland. The southern part from Jerusalem on south is pretty much desert. And our tour guide told us that it was called the land of milk and honey because 
the milk comes from the goats and the sheep, and they're usually kept down in the southern part. They can live very well off of the little stubble and stuff that grows out in the desert there. So that's where the milk part comes from. But to make honey, what do you need? You need plants with blooms on them, don't you? Pollen and that kind of stuff. Well, that's where you get it in the north. That's their farm country. They can grow some of the most beautiful crops there you've ever seen. I saw cabbage heads that big around, and you know they're just common. Uh, remember uh, going in there and and seeing some of that stuff as, as it grows, and it grows year round. It's just such a uh, climate that uh, even in the winter time, it's uh, you know it's comfortable there and hardly ever get down to where you'd get any frost. But that Sea of Galilee, and it's well watered and all like that, so it grows lots of, of not only vegetables, but lots of fruits, bananas, oranges, lemons, about any kind of fruit you can think of. They grow it there. And our tour guide said that's why it's referred to as the land of milk and honey. Now, I, too, agree with you that it, it talks about an abundance of these things and to a land flowing with milk and honey. But again, God says, for I will not go up in the midst of thee. Why? For thou art a stiff-necked people. Now, what does stiff-necked mean? Arrogant, stubborn. Yeah, just about anything you can say. It all stems from pride. It's a prideful attitude. If I don't need God, I can do this without Him. This is not the first time that God has called them a stiff-necked people. But when they made a, an idol and began to worship it, then that uh, kind of changed God's heart toward them. He says, Thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. In other words, if I go with you and you start acting up, I might just wipe you out. And God has the ability to do that. And when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned. They grieved. They had been glad to have God travel with them. They had been glad to have Him roll back the Red Sea and them go through on dry ground. They had been glad when he gave them manna from heaven to, to sustain them. And now God says, I'm not going with you anymore. You see, there is forgiveness of our sins, but there's also a price to pay for our sins. The wages of sin is death. We saw where 3,000 souls were killed there in the, the story last week over them uh, turning away from God. Not only did they mourn, it says, and no man did put on his ornaments, as it says in the King James. I'd say yours probably says jewelry. They didn't display their jewelry. For the Lord had said unto Moses, say unto the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment and consume thee. 
Therefore now put off thy ornaments from thee, that I may know what to do unto thee. And the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by the Mount Horeb. What was it the golden calf had been made out of? Their jewelry. They didn't have jewelry in Egypt. They were slaves. But the night that they went out, God softened the Egyptians' heart and made them very generous, and they, they just loaded them down with jewelry. They even had to put some of it on their children for them to wear it. But you see, they had taken what God had blessed them with and made an idol out of it. And you can worship most anything. I imagine they were very proud of their jewelry that they wore. They displayed it openly, wearing it every day. But now as they began to mourn, they stripped themselves of their jewelry. They're beginning to humble themselves is what they're doing. Seeing that it takes God in their life. Seeing that it takes God to bring them to safety. That it takes God to provide their needs. Any questions or comments on these first six verses? Okay. Now verse 7, it says, And Moses took the tabernacle. Now this is not the holy place or the holy of holies that will be built. God had just given the instructions about how it's to be built. So this is a tent that God had been meeting with Moses in. And it was there in the camp. But Moses took the tabernacle or the tent and pitched it without the camp or outside the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. You see, when we sin against God, it, it drives a wedge between us and God, and it, it separates us. That's the word death. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is separation from God. That's what the word death means, separation. So God's presence moved outside the camp. And it came to pass when Moses went out into the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. They watched as Moses went out to commune with God. I got to thinking about that, that tabernacle, that little tent there. I think all of us need a place where we can go and be alone with God. It may be a place in your house that you've set aside, a time of day that you've set aside to, to stop and spend time with God. I remember when I was a kid, it was not uncommon for men to build an altar somewhere out in the woods away from the house to where they could go and, and there spend time with God praying. They would call that going to my 
altar. Uh, I can remember my mom. I followed her one day. She went around behind the house and there was a little partial of land there that only weeds grew on it. And she walked out into the middle of those weeds and knelt and began to pray. I had followed her at a distance. I didn't know why she was going out there. But I remember hearing her calling out upon God and asking God to help her raise her children. She was 36 years old when dad died. She had four children at home. And it was very difficult for her. But that is one of my most cherished memories of knowing that she went out there to meet with the Lord. She had to get away from the rest of us, I guess, and get out there where it was quiet. But Moses goes out to this tabernacle. And it's there that he meets with God. Came to pass when Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose up, stood every man at his tent door, and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. They were curious. They wanted to know how God was going to react to Moses. Perhaps what God was going to say to Moses. They knew that they had broken God's laws. They knew that they were guilty. They knew that God was very capable of just wiping them out. But verse 9 says, It came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended. I mentioned that Sunday, uh, I believe it was Sunday night, where I talked about Jesus left the earth on a cloud. Here's that cloud. It's the Shekinah glory of God. The people knew when they saw that cloud come down to the tabernacle that God was meeting with Moses there, and Moses was meeting with God. It says... The cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. One of the greatest privileges that you and I have is the privilege of talking with our God. Some people serve little gods they carry around with them. They can talk to them, but I guarantee it don't talk back. <laughs> But you see, we have a God who not only hears, but He answers. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door. And all the people, notice what they did, all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. Now, if you were standing there in that crowd that day, and it, when it says the people rose up and worshiped, how would you describe what was happening there? 
to describe the word worship. Do what, Bob? Being in reverence, okay. Rick, did you say something? Okay. Yeah. Um, reverence is a very good word for worshiping. Uh, in our day, uh, sometimes I, I think we've, we've uh, contained worship to maybe singing music. And that's a part of it. Uh, the Bible teaches us to sing to the Lord. But when you study out the word worship in the Bible, most of the time people are in reverence and praying to God when they're worshiping. Uh, there's worshiping of idol gods and those kind of things, and they may have been uh, stripping naked and doing all kinds of dances and those kind of things to worship their God. But the worship of our holy God is to be done in reverence and in awe of who he is. I have a pastor friend of mine, he was telling me Monday at the pastor's conference, uh, he said, I have a preacher friend that he invited me to come up to their church in Knoxville. I said, I want you to come and experience our worship. So he said, I went. And he says, I slipped in and just sat down in the back row so I could see what was going on. And he said, they started passing out glow sticks, gave one to every person. And then he said, they shut the lights off and they started the music. And he said, everyone was standing, swaying with their glow sticks. And he said, if it had been Kenny Chesney up there singing, that it wouldn't have been any different. And he said, the pastor asked him afterwards, said, well, how'd you like our worship? He said, brother, I don't know if you've ever really worshiped or not. But he said, if I'd been Kenny Chesney, it wouldn't have been any different. Many times what we call worship is entertainment. Worship is when it's all focused on God, not on us, but on Him. And He's worthy of our worship. Look at verse 11. <clears throat> the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Now, a couple things I want to point out about that verse. First of all, the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man would speak to his friend. That's a personal relationship, isn't it? God and Moses had that relationship. But there's another fellow there. And I hadn't thought about it till, 
today. Aaron had been second in command, but now he's not in the picture. He's the one that led him to make an eye of God. He's forfeited his place there. Joshua, the son of Nun, he went into that tabernacle with Moses. Says he's a young man. Now remember, we can fast forward. Joshua is the one that actually led the people into the Holy Land. Moses died. And Joshua became the new leader. Here, Joshua is just a young man. And he departed not out of the tabernacle. That's all it says about it. He stayed out there. We don't know how long he stayed. What do you think he was doing? Worshiping, communing with God. I've wondered if, if God wasn't speaking to him and letting him know that he would eventually become a leader. But that's just my thinking on it. But the fact is, when he got in the presence of God, he didn't want to leave. And there's those special times when, when God comes down and, and we experience his presence. And you don't want to leave. You don't want it to end. You want it to go on. Verse 12 picks up the conversation with Moses and God again. Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now God had said these things to Moses. I know you by your name. He knew that God had been gracious to him. He'd found grace in God's sight. Verse 13, now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way. I don't know the way. Show me the way. God had just told him to lead him into the promised land. Of course, it's going to take time. Show me thy way. And it's interesting when you reach back and tie Jesus in with this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And Moses is saying, show me your way. Show me the directions. And we have to ask God that a lot of times in our life, don't we? Lord, I, I've come up against this barrier. I don't know which way to go. I don't know what to do. Show me. And God is faithful and he, he does that. Show me thy way that I may know thee. Hmm. Not only to show him the way to get it where they're going, but that he might know God better. That I may know thee. 
that I might find, may find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is thy people. Now back over in verse 1, God said, you, you and the people which you have brought up out of the land of Egypt. He's reminding God that these are God's people. And notice God's answer in verse 14. He said, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. Moses, don't worry. My presence will be with you and I'll give you rest. I'll help you. And Moses said in verse 15, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. If your presence not going to go with us, just let us stay right here. In verse 16, he says, For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Now, that's a question. He's asking God. How will it be known that me and your people have found grace in your sight? And then he answers it. Is it not in that thou goest with us? That's what separated them from the people of Egypt. They had a God that went with them. Not a God that they set up on a stump somewhere and worshipped, but a God that went with them. Is it not in that we, thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Now God tells us to be a separate people. We are to be separate from the world. And Moses understood this, that they were a, a different group of people. They were God's chosen people. God had taken them and separated them from others. The Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name that personal relationship that God had with Moses. I know you by name. I'm very well acquainted with you. He said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And Moses just inching a bit closer to God here. He's interested in seeing all he can see of God. And he said, Lord, show me your glory. Glory is a hard word to describe. It's said of Jesus over in John 1, 14, we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Glory usually has something to do with great light. I beg you, Lord, show me your glory. Now notice what God answers. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. All my goodness. 
will pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. And the word Lord is in all capital letters, which means it's Jehovah. I will proclaim the name of Jehovah before you. This is the very name that God dealt with Pharaoh so much with. He's Jehovah. I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. If you want to understand who God is, He's a God of glory. He's a God of grace. He's a God of goodness. All those things that it shows there, mercy. He's all of those. Yes, thank you, Rick. Now Moses asked something here in verse 20. He, Moses said, or God said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. You want not to see my glory. I can't allow you to see my face, Moses. He'd kill you. No man can look on my face and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. Jesus is often referred to as a rock. It shall come to pass while my glory passes by, that I will put thee in a cleft of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. God says, Moses, I can't allow you to look on my face. It would kill you. But I am going to put you over here in this cleft of the rock. That's probably an opening of a cave or something of that sort. And God said, I'm going to put my hand over you. I'm going to cover you with my hand. And I'll pass by. And I will take away my hand that thou shalt see my back parts but my face shall not be seen. That's getting pretty close to God, isn't it? God loves us. He cares for us. There's some things He can't allow us to do or to see because we couldn't stand it. But there's other times when God allows us just to get so close to Him this is one of those things. And there was one of the Old Testament prophets. I can't recall which one. But uh, he asked God a similar question. And God did him much the same way, allowed him to see his back parts. And I was, I was reading somewhere today and the author, whoever he was that I was reading after, he wondered if it was in this very same cave. I don't know. I hadn't ever thought of that. But, uh, any questions or comments that you'd like to share with us tonight? So many contradictions in this chapter. Talk about them. It says in verse 11, 
face to face. Mm -hmm. And then it says, if you see my face, you're going to die. Mm -hmm. And it says, that Moses says, remember God, these are your people. And then God says, they're wrong down that they're Moses' people. There's so many contradictions in this one chapter. It's just so hard to put it in reference to what God was doing at the time. I, I agree with you, Bob, but it's... it's uh... I agree that there's there's difficult passages in this, and uh, I wish I had all the answers, but I don't even know all the questions. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, but uh, Rick. Anyone else like to comment on it? It's probably in the, indescribable. <laughs> no, no, he didn't attempt to describe it. But uh, there's some things you just can't put words on. But I hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, brief study of this not trying to dig so deep we can't get out of it but uh, we appreciate you being here tonight anyone else with a comment before we uh, break up into our prayer groups well if not if you'd find your prayer partner or two there and just uh, spend some time praying if you don't have anything else to pray about here's a big sheet full of names of people that need your prayers.